this morning. Now, some of you might remember a few weeks ago, I started a series on modern-day Joseph, and I got interrupted because I felt compelled to share a few thoughts from the book of Revelation, and so I've taken... I preached longer in Revelation than I thought I would, but here we are this morning. We want to continue that series that we only only shared one message, Uh, Modern Day Joseph, but we're going to have our second one today. And I've entitled this message, When You Least Expect It. Least Expect It. My text is found in Genesis 41, verses 1 to 16. If you have your Bibles... Genesis 41, verses 1 to 16. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine, or cows, and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and they stood by the other kine upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kine did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kine, so Pharaoh awoke. And he slept and dreamed the second time, And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven full ears. And Pharaoh awoke and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. And all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servant and put me in ward in the captains of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night. I and he were dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him. And he interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream he did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was me he restored unto my office. And him... The baker, he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his clothes and came into unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream. And there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard that say of thee that thou canst understand the dreams. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. God shall give Pharaoh. God will interpret. God will reveal. Now, as we begin this morning by way of introduction, I'd like to share a story. The end of World War II, a woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boone In her book that she wrote after she was released from a Nazi camp, prison camp, she said, quote, 
I'd been living in barrack 28 in the shadow of the crematorium. I said to myself, when will it be my time to die? Yes, when will it be? But even though I stand in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, I will stand. Yes, I will stand. And then, all of a sudden, the gate opened wide. I saw freedom. I was free, out of prison. And in my mind were the words of Jesus to the church of Philadelphia. And he said, Behold, I set before you an open door. And behold, no one can shut it. Wow. Can it be, my friends, that this was going on in the mind of Joseph as he is released from the shadows of prison to the freedom of the palace, all that pain and all that suffering. But now, something has happened. As my title says, when you least expect it. When you least expect it. How many times have we seen in the Bible miracles, situations that turned around and people didn't realize it or people didn't expect it, but it came to pass. God did something. The God of the suddenlies shows up when you least expect it. Today we're going to look at some principles as we are looking at modern day Joseph's. Modern day Joseph's. How do modern day Joseph's react when they go through trials and tribulations? Modern day, I'm going to share some insights to the Word of God, principles that begin with W. And we need to understand why Joseph reacted and responded the way he did. What was it about Joseph? What is it about a modern day Joseph that will respond a certain way? We need to understand how God operates, or at least to have some understanding on how God operates. You see, Joseph knew his God, and that's the key. What I want to share this morning, principle number one, God's ways are not our ways. Now, we've heard that. It's almost become a cliche. But do we really understand what it means when we say that God's ways are not our ways? Isaiah 55 tells us his thoughts are not our thoughts. So if that's true, then he's going to operate in a way that is foreign to how I would operate. He will operate in a way that is different than how you would operate. He will operate in a way that maybe will not make sense to you. That might be even confusing. That might look a little strange, a little weird. But this is what we mean when we say God's ways are not our ways. God works many times subterranean. He works behind the scenes. You may not even see it. We are flesh. We are physical. We, are, we see things. We touch things. We respond through the physical realm, the emotional realm. And, 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 and for us to, to receive certain things, we must see it. We must touch it. We must smell it. So we can tangibly say, yeah, yeah, I, I can understand that. And so, and so we respond to what is natural, because we are natural. But God doesn't operate in the natural realm. So we cannot assess certain things by what we see. And that's why Paul tells us that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. 
And so God is doing something behind the scenes through a Hebrew slave in prison, in isolation, all alone. But here Joseph is going to meet a man who has a dream. He's in prison and he meets two men. Joseph didn't know that this particular man, the butler, will lead him into his destiny. He had no concept of that, no understanding of that. He just so happens to meet a man. How many times can we say that in your life or in my life? That God just so happens to bring this individual your way. That God just so happens that he allowed this door to be shut or this door to open just so happens to meet a man and he has a dream and this man just so happens to tell Joseph of his dream and Joseph begins to interpret two men had a dream the butler and the baker and Joseph interprets and tells him exactly what will take place and he told the butler that you will be released after three days and that's exactly what happened that's exactly what took place you would be spared but then Joseph says something to the butler that's a little uncharacteristic of Joseph we never see Joseph really asking anything after he was released and you don't see him even begging or never but he says Mr. Butler Mr. Butler when, when, when you do leave when you do when you are released from prison because that's what's going to happen can you do me a favor Mr. Butler can you please tell Pharaoh that I told you this what happened can you please tell Pharaoh of me interesting we never see Joseph operating that way before but he asked the butler to tell Pharaoh that he was told that he would be released. And three days later, he was released. Ah, but Mr. Butler had a bad case of amnesia and he forgot. He didn't want to tell Pharaoh. We don't know why. He just simply forgot. But my friends, let me tell you, God never forgets. No, no, no. Did he forget Hagar when she was casted out into the desert? Left to die in the desert? She did no wrong. She didn't do any, but she was casted out and she cried out to the Lord and the Lord responded, Oh, Hagar, what aileth thee? And blessed her and helped her while she was dying of thirst did God forget the three Hebrew boys who took a stand for righteousness did he forget them while they were thrown into a furnace to be burnt alive thrown into a furnace to be burnt alive no he didn't forget he appeared Jesus a theophany appeared in the furnace the fourth man and saved them rescued them and protected them how many times had God shown up how many God times has God God vindicated how many times has God come to rescue David said it over and over and over again in Psalm 18 he stretched forth his hand and he rescued me David constantly said that why because God doesn't forget and what is the Bible says his promises are yes and he doesn't forget his word is true God doesn't forget and so I need to ask a question this morning. How is God going to bring Joseph into his destiny? 
I use that word destiny a lot. I like that word because it, it means a lot. Because each one of you have destiny. Do you think that now that you're a believer, you're just, you're just supposed to come to church and sit in a pew and go back home and, tell, to, and, and, and have a, your conscience you know, eased by saying, I've been to church? You think that's all that God has called you to do, just to go to church and, and maybe just read a few portions of scriptures every so often and pray you know, on Friday nights? You, you think that's all there is? That's important. You have a destiny there's something that God has called you to do all believers have purpose and they're all called to do something and that's the problem with some of us we're not so sure we believe that that's why we get dry that's why many times we lose that fire because we don't believe there's purpose when you don't believe there's purpose in your life you're going to give up The passion fades. Your responsibility fades. But if you believe you have destiny and that God has called you for something that's beyond warming a pew on a Sunday, it's going to change your life. In fact, Jeremiah, the 29th chapter says that God has given us destiny, an expected end. I know the plans I have for you. God has a plan for your life. If you don't believe it, you're just going to fade away. But if you believe God has a plan for you, it'll change your perspective on life and your purpose. He's got a plan. How's he going to bring Joseph into his destiny, into his plan? Well, Joseph is going to interpret another dream. And this dream will open the door for Joseph to meet Pharaoh. You see, God wanted Joseph to meet Pharaoh. You think Joseph understood that while well, he feels that he's dying in prison? That's why he asked the butler, butler, and that's why I brought it up. Please have, don't forget, tell Pharaoh, because Joseph, as, as much faith as he had, he was still a human. And while he was in prison, he was feeling the sting of the trials that he's gone through all those years. Do you think Joseph knew that God was calling him to be the second most important man in all of Egypt? Do you think Joseph knew that he was called to be a prime minister? A slave? didn't have a clue not at all but he's going to interpret this dream that's going to change his life and I love that scripture in Psalm 25 I believe it's the 14th verse that the secrets of the Lord are with them who who fear not being afraid of that's a we're not afraid fear means to have reverence to honor to submit to I get a little leery of these people who always have a word of prophecy, but when you see their lives, you're not even so sure they're Christians. But they always got a prophecy for you. They always have a word. Listen, friends, I, what makes you think I'm going to receive your word if you're not fearing God? If you don't know, 
It's incredible to me. But those that fear God, those that have honor and respect and reverence, God reveals himself to you. Shows you things. Speaks to your heart. And Joseph's going to interpret two dreams that Pharaoh has in verses 2 to 7. Notice, first dream, Pharaoh was standing by the Nile. The Nile was very significant. The Egyptians worshipped the Nile. They worshipped the Nile River. And he's standing beside the Nile River. And out of the Nile River, seven fat cows emerge. And then seven thin, skinny cows come out. And these seven thin cows eat up the fat ones. Then Pharaoh has another dream. He sees stalks of corn that are full and rich. And then he sees seven skinny ears of corn. And the seven skinny ones eat the seven full ones. And so Pharaoh's confused. What kind of dream is this? So he calls the brain trust of Egypt. The soothsayers and the magicians. The wizards. The psychics. To interpret this dream. They couldn't interpret it. They didn't know what to make out of it. They couldn't do a thing. Nothing. Reminds me of another man by the name of Daniel. Do you remember that when Nebuchadnezzar saw, had a dream of the statue? We all know the story. He sees this huge statue. And Nebuchadnezzar does exactly what Pharaoh did. He called upon the magicians and the soothsayers to interpret this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of this huge statue and no one was able to interpret it but who? Daniel. It's funny that Daniel said the same thing as Joseph. God is the interpreter of dreams. Not me. You know why Joseph was so greatly used? We talked about having God glorify himself through you. It starts with humility and brokenness. Both Daniel and Joseph says, it's not about me. I can't do it. Only God can do it. Giving God the credit. We see the same thing taking place. And so brothers and sisters, I'm saying this because now God is setting the stage. He's setting the stage for Joseph to meet Pharaoh and that Joseph eventually gets promoted. But Joseph didn't know that. Sometimes when God's about to use you in a powerful way, you won't even know it. You don't know from one day to the next what God can do. Joseph had no idea. All Joseph was doing is following what God told him to do. Living day by day. Living day by day. Yes, in the prison, living right. In the pits, living right. Whatever he can do, he wasn't governed by what he saw. And so he interprets. And who does he get this interpretation from, Pharaoh? Does he get it from the magicians and the greaty, the great ones and the mighty ones? Did he get the interpretation from, from, from those who had special insights? No, 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 not at all. He got the interpretation from a slave, an outcast, a person that was rejected by Egyptians, from a person who the Egyptians thought were second rate because the Hebrews to the Egyptians were like worse than, 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 the, than dirt. They had no regard for Hebrews. No respect for Hebrews. 
And yet God is going to use a Hebrew slave to interpret Pharaoh's dream and also propel the world for what is about to come through a Hebrew slave, a Hebrew slave. Just like God dealt with Goliath, not through mighty Saul, not through the mighty hands of Israel, but through a young servant boy, David. God did great works through David. God did great works through Joseph. They didn't seem like good candidates. In fact, David's father, when Samuel came to anoint the next king, when he came to Jesse's house, Jesse didn't even want to present David to Samuel. David was like nothing. Just a mere shepherd boy. Joseph is a slave from Hebrew descent. Now, we know they're in the Bible, so we may not have a clear view, but if you were living in that day, you would understand fully what I'm speaking about. In other words, brothers and sisters, to the eyes of the world, Joseph was a nothing. In the eyes of the world, David was a nothing. And yet God used these two individuals. Why? Because God's way are not our ways. You see, God had orchestrated this. No one was able to interpret this dream. And all of a sudden, the butler comes out of his amnesia and says, hold on a second, Pharaoh. Wait a minute. Nobody's able to interpret this dream. But you know, I, I remember something. I forgot to tell you. I fa- but there was a, this slave, this, this Hebrew in prison with me. He just so happened to be there. I don't know why he was there, but he just so happened to be there. Oh, yeah, yeah, the just so happened God, the just so happened God had Joseph there to interpret the dream. And he says, this this Hebrew interpreted. In fact, he told me exactly what was going to happen, and that's exactly what took place. Why don't you get him? Maybe... Maybe he'll interpret your dream. And so we see the timing was right. God timed everything. Everything. It took a long time in the natural eye. Look what Joseph went through. All those years. All that pain. All those pits. All the ridicule. The abuse. But you see at the right time. Joseph meets this baker and butler. And they get a dream in prison. Where did God. He gets this revelation while he's in prison. Joseph didn't realize. But the fact that he was in prison. The fact that he was in prison. That prison sentence in Joseph's life was going to propel him into the palace and he didn't know it and so it is with you and me the prison you might be going through right now might be the very means for you to get into the palace it all depends on your perspective doesn't it the timing of the Lord all things work together for good For those that love the Lord and their call to his purposes, the timing, the timing, the timing was right. So first point I'm making this morning is that God's ways are not our ways. Number two, God's wisdom. 
principles that begin with W. God's wisdom is not man's wisdom. God does things, sees things, knows things that you and I, we might think we're smart, we might have a high IQ. In fact, the Bible says that the wisdom of God is regarded as foolishness by men. Men think God's wisdom is foolishness. They think the existence of God is foolishness. Atheists think the Bible is foolishness. Anything pertaining to God is foolishness. Why? Why does man say foolishness? Because it doesn't make sense in the natural mind. Because man, as I said earlier, makes his assessment by what he sees, what he feels, what he touches, the natural realm. And to the atheist, God can't exist. His wisdom doesn't make sense. And so how do you get a man who rules the world to listen to a Hebrew slave? How do you get a man who rules the world to listen to a Hebrew slave? How do you get a man like Pharaoh to listen to God? I'll tell you how. God gave Pharaoh a problem. Ah, now we're going to go a little deeper. God gave Pharaoh a problem. God gave Pharaoh a problem. What has God given you? God gave Pharaoh a problem to get his attention. There are many times that God will allow you to go through some kind of problem to get your attention. Some kind of experience that you're going through to get your attention. You see, behind every problem, my friend, there's another P. There's a plan that God has that you may not see. A problem. And if you can't change your problem, then you need to change your perspective. And you've heard me say that many times. If you can't change your problem, Mr. Pharaoh, you've got to change your perspective. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to change certain things. Change, change. Wisdom. What is God's wisdom? What is God saying? You see, Joseph is in the right place at the right time to meet with Pharaoh. Why? Because nothing just happens. And I know you've heard me say that before. Nothing just happens. Do you think it just so happened that, 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 that Joseph met the butler? Do you think it just so happened that now, because he's interpreted the dream, that he's going to meet Pharaoh? And not, you, you think he meet Meeting Pharaoh is just, it just so happened, as the world says, a coincidence, or it was an accident. No, my friends, it's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. He met Pharaoh by design. Design. And so it is with you, my friends. All those who are true believers, do you think you go through life and you go through little accidents or coincidences? No, my friends, the things you go through are by design. The question is, do you see it? The question is, in your problem, do you see a plan? Do you see the size of Goliath as the Israelites did? Or do you see the size of your God? As David did. 
God's wisdom is so different. He's at the right place, the right time. Romans 11:33. I love this scripture. You see, God was preparing the heart of Pharaoh. God was preparing the heart of Pharaoh. And he used this dream that he couldn't interpret. And now he brings Joseph to interpret the dream. All of this was by design. All of this had intelligence behind it. Supernatural intelligence behind everything. And this is what the Bible says. Romans 11.33 Oh the depth. Notice the word depth. That Greek word means deepest possible there's nothing deeper the depths of the riches both of the wisdom there's the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out you can't figure you you can't understand the wisdom of it. it's it's beyond our understanding it's beyond the scope of our ability to understand that's why faith is so important because I tell you, my friend, you will go through experiences in life that will not make sense. And if you don't have faith, you'll be like anybody else in this world. You'll make your assessments by what you see. I can't do that. Because I have a God who works subterranean, who works behind the scenes. I may not understand it. I may not see it. I got to trust him. His ways are past finding out. His ways are past finding out. Number three. Not only are God's ways different than our ways, not only is his wisdom, not our wisdom, but his will. The will of God is so different from the will of man. God's will from the beginning was to present Joseph to Pharaoh. And how did he do that? By allowing Joseph to go into a pit. Then he met Potiphar. Then he went to prison. And finally ended up in the palace. I got four P's for you. Pit, Potiphar, prison, palace. It's God's design and will that Joseph went through every experience. When thou goest through the fire, Isaiah 43. Not around it, not beside it. You see, our flesh wants to go around it. Our flesh wants to say, I, I, I want the easy road. I don't, I, I, I don't want to go through this fire. I, I, I'm not interested in going through a fire. I'm not interested in going into a pit. I'm not, definitely not interested in going into prison. I, 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 if there's any way I can get away from it, if there's any way I can, I can escape it, if I can get to where God wants me without going through a pit, I, I want to take that road. But friends, it's impossible to get to the palace without going into a pit. That's the problem with some of the preaching today, with these prosperity teachers. They preach palace all the time, but they forget there's a prison. They don't want to talk about the prison. They don't want to talk about the pits. Because it doesn't please me. It's not, my flesh doesn't like to hear these things. But there's no palace without a prison. certain stages that Joseph had to go through. There are stages that you and I have to go through before we end up in the palace, before our destiny is brought before us. There are stages and there's a process. God is a God of process. I know we want the product, we want, we want the shining, we want it all. But, but you can't get that without a process. 
the steps of a righteous man are ordered of, and the steps are not always good steps. There could be some tough steps, some difficult steps, but they're ordered of the Lord. Sometimes God will bring a famine in your life. Sometimes God will bring, he will bring a storm in your life. It's not always the devil. Oh, I know that's not popular, but it's the truth. And so, we see that God's will is different than man's will. How do you think, do you think he wanted Joseph to meet Pharaoh? That was crucial. But how do you get a slave? A slave? Hebrew slaves going to have audience with Pharaoh? Are you kidding? That's like, you know, someone having audience just off the streets uh, with Trudeau or with Biden or you name it. This doesn't happen. God orchestrated something. How do you think God orchestrated one of the most incredible unions. Jesus' destiny is depended upon two people meeting. Ruth and Boaz. Do we know the story of Ruth and Boaz? How astronomically impossible I mean, for them to actually meet. Ruth is a Moabitess. She's not even a Hebrew. She's living in Moab. And we all know the story. I wish I had time to expand on it. I've shared it before. Naomi ends up going to Moab because there's a famine in Bethlehem. There was a famine. God uses famines. So if there's a famine in your life, instead of trying to run from that famine, why don't you look and see why there's a famine? A famine in Bethlehem. Naomi and her husband end up going to Moab. Weren't supposed to go there, but they did because they heard there was blessings in Moab. God prospered Moab, a pagan nation for that period of time so that Naomi and her husband would go to Moab. There, her son marries Ruth, a Moabitess. Now they have a famine in Moab, but now there's blessings in Bethlehem. God's working something out. They go back to Bethlehem. People are dying left and right. And Ruth just so happened to glean on the fields of Boaz. Coincidence, you say? <laughs> Far from it. God's plan was that Ruth would meet Boaz. God's plan was that Joseph would meet Pharaoh. It was imperative. Now, can you imagine if someone, watch this now, watch this now. This is important. Can you imagine if somebody had compassion on Joseph? They hear Joseph screaming in the pit. Joseph, I'm sure he was crying. Can you imagine somebody walking by the pit and they see Joseph and he's crying? And what would be the natural inclination of any normal would be to try to rescue Joseph out of the pit. Who wants to allow? Why would you want someone to be in a pit? Let's let me get him out of the pit. You know, can, can I bring? Can I bring it? Can I bring it home? You see somebody suffering, somebody hurting, somebody's in the pit. What do we want? We want to do whatever we can to get them out of that pit. But 
Is it possible that God is saying no? He needs to be in that pit because there's something he needs to go through. And if you come and rescue him out of that pit, he's not going to learn what he needs to learn. You see, it's human nature to want to get out of our pits. It's human nature to want to get out of our furnaces. It's human nature. We don't want to suffer more. Who wants to suffer? But there are times we have to. And we have to endure, as James says, those tribulations because there's a crown coming. I know we don't want to. But we have to because God's going to use that pit as a life lesson and a testimony. And if you get out prematurely, you're not going to learn what you need to learn. God wants us in the pits, in the prisons at times for a reason. Interesting story. Um, I love this story. Maybe I've shared it before. I'm not sure. Tremendous story, and I think it says it all. There was a man in the hospital, and by his window ledge, he saw like a, like a web of sorts, but he realized it was a cocoon. And uh, there was somebody in the hospital right beside him. There were two beds, and he found it interesting and he spoke to the person in the hospital. Oh, that, that's a, that looks like it's a, either a moth cocoon or, or a butterfly. That's a butterfly coming out of there. Or a moth. Chances are it was a moth. And so, the one who saw this cocoon felt sorry because he would notice that this butterfly in its pre, pre-form was kind of trying to get out. You can see he was trying to, to exit out. He, he saw some, some, some movement there and you can see that it was trying to get out of the cocoon. And so, and so the man in the hospital said, I'm going to help this little poor moth get out of the cocoon. So what did he do? He took, I'm not sure what it was, maybe a, a scissor of sorts and, and he made a hole or he cut the cocoon on top of it and kind of made it easy for the moth to get out and that's great you know how many times do we try to help people so we cut off a little bit to make it easier for somebody and that's fine we need to do that we need to show compassion but sometimes we don't realize that we can kill someone because of our goodness or what we perceive as good what am I saying you see friends Eventually, the moth got out of there, but it died. It died within hours. And I'm going to tell you why. You see, you see, this moth needs the cocoon to be the way it is because he's got to struggle and he's got to force this thing open, crack it open like a little bird has an egg tooth where it uses its beak to get out of the egg. Very similar. This moth needs to get out of this cocoon on its own strength because what, what he's doing as, as this, uh, this, is this moth is fighting his way through, pushing and squeezing. What's happening inadvertently is that it's important uh, uh, liquids and, and, and nutrients and, and, and vitals are, are strengthening him 
him and these fluids are, are, are beginning to flow in his body and it's beginning to strengthen this, the, the, this moth so it has the capacity to get out. In other words, it helps him form its body and strengthen. So this pressure strengthens his body. He needs the pressure to strengthen the body. He needs the pressure so the fluids flow properly. It's all in the tension. It's all in the pressure. It's all in the fact that the cocoon is difficult to get out. And in the struggle, the moth is strengthened. If there's no struggle, his wings can't be formed. His body can't be formed. They become listless and they become ineffective. They really, they have no strength. And so as the cocoon got out, it's, uh, the Bhadva got out of the cocoon, it seemed like everything was great. But it died. It died because it didn't have what it needed to survive. And what the moth needed to survive was all based on the struggle. Your struggles and your pain and the pits you go through that you might think are a waste of time, that you might think are irrelevant and why and why should this and how come and all the questions that you might ask in life when life presents more questions than answers when life presents more questions than answers and you don't know and you don't understand and you think this is no good and why am I going through all of this my friends is like that moth who needs that struggle so it can be what God created it to be. Without the struggle, there's no strength. I want you to notice verse number 14. The Bible says that Joseph shaves his beard and his head. And this was a part of Egyptian culture. Only the poor and the outcasts had beards. In Egyptian culture, hair facial hair was wrong even most men would be bald but they would be deliberate they would shave their heads it was part of especially Egyptian nobility and so Joseph is shaving his head his beard to present himself to Pharaoh did you see that he shaves his beard and it's, what is it? it's an act of humility it's an act that he is, watch this now, what, he's preparing himself to meet the king. Oh, I, I see, I see a lot of things here. He's preparing himself to see the king. He shaves, he's bald, no beard. He's preparing himself to see the king. Hmm. Preparing himself. Just like Esther, what did Esther do? She took a bath, she bathed herself in liquids and milk and perfumes to present herself to see the king. Is that not true? Let me ask you, my friends, my brothers and my sisters, how are you preparing yourself to meet your king? How are you preparing yourself to meet your king? We know that Jesus is coming. How are you preparing? How can I go, can I get a little, di how do you prepare yourself even in coming to church? 
You expect to come to church and be blessed and do it. And that's wonderful. You, yeah, but, 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 but what are you doing leading up to church? What did you do last night? You know how many people I know I've, over the years, I've, they've come, I've talked to them, I get, I've, some of them are out partying, having fun, but I'm going to church on Sunday morning. Oh, really? How do you prepare yourself to meet with God? Coming to church is where we're preparing to meet with God. How do you prepare your heart to meet with God? This is extremely important. And you wonder why. We don't get far spiritually, some of us. You're not preparing. You see, it's all in the preparation. This whole story is about Joseph preparing. All about preparation. Because, watch this now, before there is promotion, there must be preparation. I got Before there's promotion, there must be preparation. You've heard me say that. And so watch how the preparation takes place. Everything is ready. As I said, God is setting the stage. Joseph begins to interpret the dream of Pharaoh had in verses 25 to 32. Look what he said. The seven fat cows... Oh, Mr. Pharaoh, and the seven fat ears of corn are the seven good years of plenty. Now watch this. And then the seven skinny cows and the seven small ears of corn are the seven years of famine. Verse 32. You can get it for me. And then he says, the doubling of the dream meant that it is very important and it will happen quickly. It will happen quickly. It's going to take place. It's going to take place. It's going to happen. And so Joseph said, look Pharaoh, for the next seven years you will be in abundance and fruitful. But then seven years of famine will follow. And so if you're not careful, those seven years will eat up all of the prosperity. It's all about preparing. It's like, you know, that's the problem. Too many of us live in the moment. We don't prepare. That's the problem with the youth today. They don't prepare. Just let me eat, drink. It's just, just living in the moment. No preparation. No preparation. What are you preparing for? What are you thinking? What are you building up for? You know, you know I t- even, even young couples, married couples. I have... I talked to some, and, and I know for a fact of some, that what are they doing? What are they preparing? They have children. What are they doing for their children? Well, that's not my responsibility. Excuse me? You've got children, and you're not preparing for your children? You've got children, and you're not preparing for your children? Well, what does that mean? Well, I know of parents who have children. They're married. Some of them... Their children might be struggling, but they can't help them because they've got nothing. They're not leaving anything behind. They haven't prepared any way. They've got no excess to be able to bless their kids with. You must say, oh, Pastor, hold on a second. Once they get married, then they're not my responsibility anymore. Excuse me? That's not what the Bible says. Can, can we go on a small... Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take a little turn here because I see something powerful here. Joseph told Pharaoh, you double it up, you need to prepare when the famine comes. Are you with me? Prepare when the famine comes. Why does Solomon say an ant is wise? An ant keeps working, preparing, and building up. So when the... The scarcity time is coming. When it's hard, you've got something in the bank. You've got something in, in the cupboards. You, you've prepared. You've prepared for the famine. You've prepared for the potential problem that might arise. Joseph says, double up. In the time of plenty, 
put some aside store some of it because the famine's coming and if you store it now when the famine comes you'll have enough to survive what does the Bible say to the parents and I have a word for the parents today that's right what does the Bible say I'm glad you asked 1st Timothy chapter 5 verse 8 1st Timothy chapter 5 verse 8 but if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own what he hath denied the excuse me denied the faith and his worth than an infidel if you're a parent and you're not doing what you can to see your children blessed and to see what you can to feed into your children look I'm gonna tell you something I'm a pastor I, I I've not really made that much money in my life but I'll tell you what I did my wife and I from day one from day one say no you got three kids we're gonna do whatever we can to help our children and we put money aside all the time day after day year after year and by the grace of God able to help all three of them right now in their lives because if I didn't invest in my children in this way the Bible says I'm worse than an infidel do you realize how in, that's unconscionable do you realize how terrible that is for parents not to do that oh pastor but hold on a second the kids today they're so spoiled and you know they just wait on their mind that's you stop justifying what you're not doing by giving something that might be true for some kids my responsibility as a father my responsibility and my wife as a wife is to do what we can to provide for our children I didn't say meet every need I didn't say every every whim I said to do what you can to help them to bless them to give them a chance to go forward what about today housing you can't even buy a house anymore I've got kids I talk to oh, but pastor I, I can't even I'm, I've got married I can't I don't know what am I supposed to do but you see maybe maybe just maybe just maybe if mommy and daddy helped the thought of maybe this could happen down the road maybe mommy can help you help you get ahead help you get a start okay you want to shout me down what about Proverbs chapter uh, 13 verse 22 Proverbs 13 20 what does Proverbs tell us look what Pro so if you think it's just one scripture I never just use one scripture you know me now a good man leaveth what excuse me a good man what first 20 go back no first 24 first go back to that I didn't finish 23 yeah a good man leaveth what? A what? A what? To his what? And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the judge. If I don't leave an inheritance to my children, I'm in direct disobedience to God. You might say, but pastor, hold on, I don't have much money. It didn't say, nobody's telling you how, we don't know how much. Your how much is relative. The, pro the point is you've got to do what you can you got to do what you can 
It may not be, but you do what you can. The problem today, too many parents are self-contained, self-motivated, and they're selfish. And they want to live their own ways. And they're happy the kids are gone. Now I can live it up. You think that's, that's friends, I've talked to people like this. I've talked to people like this. If you're a mother and a father, you have a responsibility to see your children at least get ahead in some capacity. For that's what the Bible says. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. And so Joseph says the same thing, but in a different context. You're in plenty? Store some. Save some. For the future. Because you're going to need it. You're going to need it. Double it up. Take 20% of your crops and save them for seven years and you will have all the grain stored. Double up your tithes. Double up. And Pharaoh was absolutely amazed. You see, this was God's will to promote him as prime minister, as I mentioned. Do you think Joseph fully grasped that earlier? Absolutely not. But you see, Joseph was ready. Joseph could trust him. Because God worked in him, developed his character. Where did God develop Joseph's character? Where did God do his greatest work? Where did God form Joseph's character? I'm going to tell you where. In the cocoon, in the pit, in the prison. That's where God formed Joseph's character. And so now Joseph is ready. He's ready. God can trust him. Oh, I see something here too. I see a lot of things. I don't know. But I see something. I see something. Joseph never pushed his way. Stop trying to push your way. Stop trying to scratch and kick your way. It doesn't work. You know, friends, some of you this morning are not ready to go where your gift wants to take you because you're not ready. Your character, you're not ready. Oh, you want, you want, you got a gift, you know you, some, you've got a gift, I've heard this, Pastor, I've got these gifts and, and I know I've got, the, I know I've got this, I, I know God's called me and I, and I see, yeah, 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 but, but you're not ready. You're not ready. Because your character. Doesn't glorify God. You got to go through a few more pits. You got to go through a few more prisons. A few more cocoons. God's going to work it out. Psalm 66.10. Watch what it says. I love this. I love this. Oh Lord. Thou hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Three times you see this word. Tried. In a different way. Proved, tried, and tried. Three times in one verse you see this word tried and proved. Why silver? Does anybody know how you get silver? You've heard me say this illustration before. You remember Elaine? Tell me what it is. It goes in the furnace. And whatever impurities are in the silver come to the surface. They are removed. And it's put back in the and until the black, the silversmith is able to see his reflection in the, in the pot. 
See, friends, we're like that silver in a pot. It's being refined one, twice. It takes a while. And the impurities, they rise. And the silversmith is taking, he gets up on a ladder and he skims off the impurities and he keeps doing it until there's no more impurities, but he keeps on doing it until he sees his reflection in the liquid. My God. Until Christ be seen in me. Lord, purify me until Christ be seen. Glorify thy name. Didn't we sing it? With glorify. Because he works in us. Why? 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 So he can work through us. And so, brothers and sisters, minutes ago, Joseph was in prison, but now he's in the palace beside Pharaoh when you least expect it, my title says. Yes, yes, God of the suddenlies. One phone call, friend. One encounter. One discovery. Things can change overnight. He turns our mourning into dancing. Yes, an open gate. An open door. God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Oh, I, I, I know he suffered for years. Twelve years, in fact. But was promoted in seconds. Life lesson, life lesson, life lessons. Are you ready for one? Here it is. Pain and suffering are not signs of disfavor. Pain and suffering are not necessarily signs of God's disfavor, but rather signs of God's preparation. Oh, if you can get that. If you can just embrace that. I've got a nugget to share with you. Psalm 105 verse 18. Are you ready for this one? Psalm 105 verse 18. I see this so powerful. So powerful. Don't you love the word of God? He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold as a servant. Go ahead. Whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Laid in iron in the Hebrew means till his soul became like iron. Till his soul became like iron. Can I bring it to the vernacular? Till Joseph got strong. Till Joseph had, had, had supernatural strength. So that Joseph became like iron. You see, because before Joseph, he wasn't very much like iron. God had to make him like that. Joseph had things to, even though he was godly, he had things to learn and to experience and through the pits in prison, his soul came into iron. In other words, God strengthened him. Where? In the palace? No. He strengthened him in the prison. That's where the best learning takes place. That's where the best growth takes place. I've got to wrap it up. However, I want to, I got this sense, I want to show you who Joseph really is. Joseph is a picture of the church. Joseph is a picture of how God works in us. Stay with me. Watch this now. Watch this. When Pharaoh promotes Joseph, Pharaoh gives him certain things that I want to talk to you about. I want you to notice verse 42 of chapter 41. Pharaoh gives him a signet ring. 
Did you see that? Pharaoh gives Joseph this ring. Pharaoh was saying, Joseph, you can sign for me as if it were for me personally. Did you see that? You represent me. What did Jesus say about us? Do we have verse 42 of chapter 41? Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. I'm giving you this ring. You represent me. You can even sign for me. What did Jesus call it? He called us what? Our joint heirs. His ambassadors. Sitting with him in heavenly places. To him who overcomes, Revelation 3.21, I'll have him sit with me. Sit with me on my throne. Excuse me. God has given us a spiritual ring that we wear each day. Number two, verse 42, not only a signet ring, but he gives him a robe. Remember, Joseph had a robe before of many colors, but his brothers dipped it in blood and brought it to the father. But now he has a robe that will, he will wear for the rest of his life from 30 years of age to 110. He ruled in Egypt for 80 years. He wore a robe. Reminds me of the robe that the prodigal son received when the father saw him after all those years. The prodigal son rebelled. He backslid. He finally came to his senses. He came back home. The father meets him, showers him with kisses. Kataphilia embraced him. And what does the Bible say? He put a robe. He says, A robe over him here. You're part of this family. You're part of my family. Revelation 7.14, the Bible says that when we get to heaven, we will wear robes. It's our, our identity. You are my child. A robe. God has given us a ring. He's given us a robe. Verse 42, then Pharaoh put a gold chain around his neck a picture of royalty, a picture of kingship. Gold is the medal of kings. Revelation 1.6, he calls us to be priests and kings. Bible says we are called kings and priests in the spirit realm. He calls us priests, kings. And Joseph is now royalty. When you come to Christ, you've got royal blood flowing through your veins, my friend. You're a Christian. Think about it. You are peculiar. You are a joint heir with Christ. A priest in his presence. That's what he calls you. A joint heir. Joint heir. With, do you realize how powerful that is? Joseph is a picture of the church. Verse 43. Watch this. Now what? It gets so exciting. Then, then Pharaoh says, You will ride with me on the second chariot. You will ride with me. Revelation 19.14 says we're going to ride with him. We come back to fight in the battle of Armageddon. We're going to ride with him. Oh my goodness, isn't this exciting? Joseph has a horse riding with Pharaoh. And we, him, the bitch of the church, we're going to be riding with Christ. In Revelation 19. My goodness. And then they cried before him. Verse 43. Bowing the knee, making him ruler. People are bowing before Joseph. Whoa, my friends, watch this. Do you remember Joseph's dream in Genesis 37, 5 to 10? Where the sheaves of wheat bow down to Joseph. Do you remember that? 
even his own brothers bowing down to him and that's what got Joseph in trouble but you see this was not only his brothers but all of Egypt and it came to pass exactly what Joseph saw and it came to pass because of the famine if there was no famine his brothers would have never gone to Egypt to get food and when they saw Joseph they didn't recognize Joseph they bowed down just as Joseph had the dream do you see it? Wow, what a story. What a story. My goodness. Took a long time. His dream, his vision came to pass, however. You see, my friends, in his promises, there might be a lot of delays. There might be a few pits and a few prisons. But delays do not mean denials. If God said it, it's going to happen. If God's given you word and you know it's from God, you might have some pits and prisons, but it's going to come to pass. Hold on. Pastor Melody gave an illustration a few Wednesdays ago. I liked it. Galatians chapter 6 do not be weary in well-doing but but you will reap a, a harvest in due season if you faint not see Joseph didn't faint but you see the harvest comes through the non-fainting what does this word faint mean well the Greek language is strange because a lot of times the Greek language speaks in pictures and what this word faint means is a term used when you're playing instruments with, string, with strings. If you play a guitar or a violin or a cello. If I took Helen's cello and I did something like this, which I won't dare do, I'm loosening the strings, correct? If I try to play this cello and the strings are loose, what's going to happen? You're going to hear some nasty sound nasty but when I turn up and I tighten the strings that was nasty but, but you get what I'm saying it's gonna sound good it's gonna sound doesn't sound good if you're loose it needs to be tight that's what it means to faint not you gotta be tight you gotta keep fighting the fight don't lose your perspective. Keep going. Keep enduring. Don't be a guitar with loose strings. No music's coming out of your life. Oh, I like that. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good. Come on now. Think about it. There's no music without the strings being tight. Some of you have got loose strings. hold on my friend he's the Alpha and the he's not finished with you keep walking keep trusting stop murmuring please stop complaining some of you on the run you're running you're murmuring you're complaining 
You're in a pit in a prison and you're mad and you're upset. Stop running. Start embracing. Some of you are at work and it's tough. You're on the run. Some of you are at home, you have a tough marriage. You're on the run. Some of you have got wayward children. You don't, you're on the run. Some of you have got financial problems. You're on the run. You're on the run. You're running. You're running. You're running. Your strings are getting looser and looser and looser. Music isn't there, but he isn't finished with you yet. As I've said over and over again, he is the great ambidextrous God, is he not? He works well with both hands, not you or me. He's got his right hand that speaks of his power and his glory that you can see. You can see Joseph going before Pharaoh, but you see what you didn't see was God's left hand working behind the scenes, the subterranean God, causing things to happen, giving people dreams, having certain people in prison with you, meeting, having that special encounter God's left hand working God's right hand working all in his timing all in his timing you see nothing is ever a waste of time God took you through it to prepare you for where you're going God didn't take you through it so you can stay there. God didn't take you through it so you can stay in prison. God didn't take you through it so you can stay in that pit. There's a palace somewhere. And I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm talking about the blessing whatever God has in store for you. That's what I'm talking about. There's a palace somewhere. But you've got to make it through the prison. There's no coincidence. You're not going through it because, because of bad luck. I heard somebody say, yeah, Christian, well, it's just my bad luck. There's no bad luck. Luck does not exist with God. I can't stand it when I'm talking to a believer. Oh, well, that was, I was lucky. Did you know there's no Hebrew word for coincidence? There's no Hebrew word for coincidence. Why? Because the Hebrews know either God did it or he didn't. Either God allowed it or he didn't. No coincidence. And so, I promise this is my final final thought and I close with this the point I'm saying is that Joseph was crushed most of his life but it was in the crushing Jesus was crushed in Gethsemane but it was in the crushing watch this now crushing doesn't mean an end Crushing doesn't mean that now that's it. It's the end. I'm in prison. No, no. Crushing doesn't signify the end. It signifies a new beginning. A grape that is solid is crushed so it can become wine, liquid. An olive that is solid is crushed so it can become oil. A flower! It's crushed so it can release perfume. Without the crushing, there's no perfume. That's what God was doing in Joseph's life. That's what God is doing in your life. Because you have destiny, O Christian friend. You are seated with him in heaven. You are joint heirs with him. You are his ambassador. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. You 
of destiny. You are a Joseph in wherever God has placed you. So rise, O Joseph. Rise, O Josephine. Rise up. Because God isn't finished yet. Because something good is about that. Let's all stand together. Let's all stand together, please. One of your head bowed, please. I'm talking to two groups of people today. I'm talking to one person who's on the run. Some of you are on the run. You don't like what you're going through. You think it's a waste of time. I want to talk to another person today. Those that are being crushed. You're so crushed. And you're saying to yourself, why is this? What's, why? How come? You're being crushed. And you feel things changing. The olive is now shrinking and you feel yourself changing. It's like a liquid now. It's becoming oil and there's a change going on and it, you're getting into another level that's a good place to be every head bowed please I want to I want to address that one or two person people in this room those on Facebook and YouTube if you're on the run you see, Joseph's father, Jacob, was on the run. For 40 years, Jacob was running. Joseph knew a lot about runners. Maybe you're on the run. You don't like what you're going through. It's too hot in that prison cell. That pit is very lonely. You feel abandoned. All kinds of thoughts. things are getting worse you've gone from the pit now you're in the prison you don't understand you haven't really done anything that deserves you in the natural anyway why you're there but you're there and so you're confused you say God where are you what's happened you don't fully grasp that God's wisdom is not your wisdom his ways are not your ways his will is not you. You don't see that. You, all you see is pain. You're being crushed. Am I speaking to somebody? But you're being crushed for a purpose. God has purpose when He crushes because He's turning the olive into oil and He's turning the grape into wine. How many would say, Pastor, head down? I think you're speaking to me. I, I, in fact, I know you're speaking to me. 
and you're struggling in this crushing, you're, it's, it's very difficult for you. That's okay. We've all been there. I just want to pray with you. That's all. I'm going to pray that God will make you that string tight again. He will tighten the strings on your personal guitar. And you'll keep going. And when you least expect it, all of a sudden, that phone call, that, that encounter. I know this is a word for somebody. If that's you, just raise your hand. I'm not going to invite you for it. I'm just going to pray with you right where you are. Keep your hands up so I know, okay. I see quite a few hands. Wonderful. Amen. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, you see every hand. Those individuals that have raised their hand because they are being crushed. And Lord, I pray for them today. All of us. As the crushing takes place, help us, Lord, to see, not with my eyes, but with your eyes. Help me to see, Lord, that this problem has purpose. That in this problem, there's a plan. Help me to see that what I'm going through is not forever, as Paul says, a light affliction in comparison to eternity. Just a light, a moment. Help me to see it. Help me not make my assessments from what I'm going through right now, Lord. I know you're not finished with me. For he that endures to the end. He that's begun a good work shall complete. Help me to see it, Lord. Help me to embrace my pain. Help me to embrace my crushing. Because I know something good will take place. In Jesus' name. For all things work together for good. Those that are on the run this morning, I want to see your hand. Don't be embarrassed. All of us at one point or another have been on the run. If that's you, nobody looking, just put up your hand. I'm going to pray with you, just as I prayed for those who put up their hand for the crushing. I see a couple of hands. Good. Keep them up high so I can see who you are. You're on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Keep your hands up. Facebook and YouTube, if that's you, put your hand up, please. Put your hand up before the Lord. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for everybody who's on the run. It's too hot at work. It's too tough in my marriage. My kids are driving me crazy. My finances. COVID has really hit me hard. I can't take it. I'm, I just want out. I just want out. I want to run from this. I want to be like David in Psalm 55. Oh Lord, that I might have wings that I might fly away and be at rest. You want to fly away, you want to run. Thinking that if you can just escape this pain, I'll be free. That's not true. Jacob was on the run till he met Esau, his brother. And everything changed. 
Father, I pray for everyone who's on the run. That they'll meet their Esau. That, Father, you will cause them to see that running doesn't make it better but worse. Help us, Father, to face our problems. To face what we're going through. To stop justifying what we're going through. To stop making excuses. To embrace. And Lord, that we would see what you want to teach us. Show us what I need to learn. I pray this for all who are on the run today, Lord. You are a gracious God. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing a chorus before I do I want you to know how much God loves you I, you know I, it's, it's hard nobody can describe how much God loves you everything you go through is because of his love I know you don't feel it at times but it's because he does love you and he wants you to be the best version of you that you can be for his glory he loves you
see that? We asked and prayed that God would be glorified through you. Remember that? I didn't know Josh was going to sing that song. And he's glorified in your crushing. He's glorified while you're in the pit. He's glorified while you were in the prison. And when you come out of it, wow, fragrance. And it's glorified even in a greater way. So when we ask God to be glorified in me, expect a bit of crushing, friend. Expect a few pits. That's going to make you who you are. And so, Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. I thank you for the life of Joseph. Help us to live like that. Modern day Josephs. Help me to embrace my pits, Lord, my prisons. Help me like Joseph to forgive my enemies. Help me like Joseph to put you first and acknowledge that I can do nothing without you. Help me be a modern day Joseph that glorified your name in Jesus name. Blessings to all of you and your families and your children. We love you and we look forward to seeing you real soon.